Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome back to the Framestore podcast, episode 23, part two. On Monday's episode, we engaged co-chair of Framestore's Social Equity Board and talent partner outreach and inclusion, NG Druge, in our 13-question grilling, otherwise known as the Framestore podcast dailies. On today's episode, we pass the mic to this week's guest co-host, Dominic Nairambi, Head of Technical Project Management. Dom continues the conversation with NG as part of this week's episode, recognising Refugee Week 2023. So without any further delay, we hope you enjoy episode 23, part two of the Framestore podcast, our Refugee Week special. Welcome back to the Framestore podcast, acknowledging Refugee Week 2023. This is the second instalment of our conversation with DEI talent partner and social equity co-chair, NG Jerouge. This is where we hand over to this week's guest co-host, Dominic Nirambi, technical project manager based in London, who will continue the interview where we left off. So Dom, it's over to you. Hey, hey, Angie. Uh, part two. Um, so I just wanted to dig in a bit more. Uh, we were talking yesterday about your education and uh, the dissertation that you did. I just wanted to dig in a bit deeper into why you decided to do that dissertation and then probably what you think the main differences are between the theory of writing that and the actual practicality of you actually doing this now. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. Um, so coming into the UK, obviously, as we said earlier, as a refugee, not knowing anyone in the industry, not you know being part of the industry, but hearing a lot about it from the outside, it's a very different image than seeing it from the inside. So what I would hear about it, you know, it's very competitive. If you don't know anyone, you're never going to make it in, um, that type of thing. So for me, that kind of made me really curious to understand why that is the case and who decided that that's going to be the case. Um, so that's the reason I wanted to do that kind of research. Um, and what I was specifically researching is how does the representation in the industry that we have actually affects the representation we see on screen? Because for me, it was never that I would actually see a refugee character on screen back to the time when I actually did my dissertation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very rare that I would see somebody from the Middle East in any of the Western films um, or or, you know, uh, Western TV shows that is portrayed in an authentic way. And so that did kind of raise that question about what is this connection between who is working behind the scene, what is their presentation like behind the scene, and then how that's going to affect their presentation on screen. Um, So, yeah, I did that kind of research. And then obviously now looking at it from the inside, the issue obviously is a lot more complex than when I researched it when I was like 20, 21. <laughs> it's a lot more complex looking at it from here, but it's getting more and more interesting. The closer I look at it, the more I am, like the more I'm passionate about it and the more I want to change it. Excellent. Um, so just going a bit more in terms of your background uh, uh, and are there any specific challenges or opportunities uh, that are unique to the background that kind of helped your journey? 
uh, to get here? Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was in Syria, um, so the war started when I was 10 years old. And then by the time when I was 16, like six years of wars, I was completely fed up. I was not doing well mentally. I was almost losing myself. Um, I needed to get out. Um, luckily, this was the only scholarship that was given to one Syrian kid each year. Um, and I applied because I really wanted to get it. Um, and I was given the scholarship to go and study in a school called United World College. There are 17 of them across the globe. And then they take, they take one Syrian kid uh, for a few of the schools. So I got the scholarship to actually go abroad, leave home, leave family, leave everything and start a life over there. And I think that was the biggest opportunity of my life because that's how I managed to get out. Um, otherwise, I would probably still be stuck in there. Yeah. Um, so very thankful for that. And also getting the scholarship to come to the UK and continue my studies. That's that's like the biggest, biggest thing. Um, when I was applying to universities, when I was back in high school, there are no full scholarships and my parents cannot pay a penny. Like their salary doesn't cover their food mm-hmm. to, to start with. Um, and I was 16, 17. I needed to start applying for universities. I had no money, obviously. So it was really, really stressful. And I knew that if I couldn't get a scholarship, I'm going back to the war. Um, Luckily, there was one university that has offered me a full scholarship, paid for my flight, for my entrance, for everything um, in the US. And then I went to the embassy to apply for a visa and they rejected my visa because I had a Syrian passport. And then that was the crush of my dreams because I could not do anything. I was packing my bags, going back to Syria. Um, And then one of my friends actually posted on Facebook a post of like a picture of me and then a picture of my artworks. Um, and she explained that I didn't get a visa because of this Muslim ban, even though I'm not even a Muslim. Funny, the funny part. Um, and then she explained that. And then the crazy bit is that the post went viral. And then I received this message from a rich person from the UK, basically, who sent me a message wow. being, um, what's your story? I can make it all possible. Um, him and his wife has literally adopted me. They paid for my university here, for my accommodation, for my food until I started a life over. So very, very grateful. That's really that's really cool. Um, um, so still still really talking about that uh, your background really uh, in Syria, seeing kind of your parents work hard and just you yourself work hard. How how is that? Because to me, when I see the output of your work, I'm quite impressed uh, with your hard work ethic. How has that informed how you approach work now? Thank you, Dominic. Um, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned that before on the podcast. My family is Christian, um, so religion back home works very differently. It's kind of passed down from parents to children, and it's like gender. It's literally put on your ID that you carry around Syria. Um, I am not religious myself, but anyway, my family is Christian, and we are the 10% minority, mm-hmm. um, so we are treated completely differently. Like My mom wouldn't get the same salary as everyone else. My dad wouldn't get the same clients as everyone else. Um, so my parents had to work three times as hard as any other Syrian because of that. Um, and I grew up in that environment. I grew up with my parents fighting to be able to get anything. Um, my dad came, my dad used to live in a tent with, with his parents and his brothers and sisters. And he wanted to make an actual life when he married my mom. They wanted to have kids and actually be able to afford life. So what he went through in order to actually be able to afford a house um, was so much. 
And once they actually afforded a house, they brought me into my, into the life. They brought my brother in. The war started and our house was completely bombed. Um, his office was bombed. He lost his job. My mom was living off a salary that wouldn't even cover the rent of the house that we escaped to in a random village. Um, they literally lost everything after they've been working for so many years, despite the discrimination that they had to live through. Um, so, so imagine how much fighting they had to have in them and how much work ethic they had to have in them and how much effort they had to put in to rebuild a life again for the second time mm. um, in, in a country where the war is still going. Um, so that's what I grew up with. And then that's what I wanted to bring with me to start a life here again. Yeah, and and I'll be very honest. Like just from the output of the things I see, it, it, I I'm extremely extremely impressed, and you can already tell. Uh, really, it's really really impressive. Uh, so, why do you think diversity and inclusion is an important part uh, in the VFX industry specifically? Oh, that is a question. You don't. I don't even know where to start with this. Like, it's it's a human right that we all have access to the same opportunities, regardless of our characteristics. Mm-hmm. That's that's law. That's obvious. Um. I talked a bit about their presentation on screen and how much that can affect a teenager or a child growing up when they see a model, you know, on screen that they can relate to. Um, that's a big part. And I think it's quite influenced by who we choose to be the writers behind the screen or who we choose to be the directors and the producers. It completely affects their presentation on screen. Um, that's one part. And the other part that Simon has talked about in part one, obviously creativity and innovation. We cannot be that creative as a business if we're not diverse we cannot be mm-hmm. and not just diversity in terms of in terms of gender and ethnicity but also diversity in terms of our way of thinking because we we do not all think the same um so i think it's really important for the business to continue and to flourish that's really good and 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 what would your message be really to the people that want to help but not necessarily know how to uh, in a sense, uh, and get involved uh, with these things. I know obviously there's access VFX, but uh, people sometimes are always bogged down with work and things like that. Mm-hmm. How can they do that and implement that on a day-to-day basis in their lives? I think it can be very overwhelming because there are so many issues and people don't know where to start from. Um, I think first step is to always keep an eye out for any educational opportunities. Um, I think we need to understand what the issue is. is we need to understand the issue more before we know how to actually tackle it. Um, so definitely read a bit more about the issue. That's one thing. The other thing is, um, you know, me and Amy are working in the diversity and inclusion space here at Framestore. So it's definitely a good idea to actually reach out and ask, hey, how can I help? Because again, it's not just mine and Amy's responsibility, it's everyone's responsibility. And here at Framestore, there are so many different ways that people can actually get involved. We have the working groups that are all, you know, volunteers, we have the social equity board, um, and a lot of people only come help organize one event and not necessarily continue because they don't have the time, but they still, you know, pitch in for what they can. And sometimes I just receive a, like few links with resources to suggest in the newsletter. Even that is is great enough to actually spread knowledge and education about a certain topic. No, that's good. That's, thank you for that. You're very eloquent thank you <laughs> um but can you share some highlights i know you've been here for a year but some highlights or significant milestones that you're proud of uh, in terms of just your journey within the vfx industry so far Ooh, that's a question oh just a year i feel like it's weird to answer that question with just a year just celebrate um, time to show off <laughs> um i would i would definitely say 
having like starting the working groups was a big task um and kind of you know creating the toolkits for that was a big uh, task so i'm really glad that started off and it's running and um, so that's one of the things i think the second thing is the many like the very high number of schools that we are hosting every month um so for the next 3 weeks i have a school visit every day that's that's so many kids like that's almost 30 kids every single school visit so 30 students per day for the next 2 3 weeks um so i'm proud of how many children we're kind of having an influence on um probably the last thing is the diversity and inclusion strategy that we are currently working on um you know social equity board with me and amy um i think that is really really exciting because it's going to have um not just the outcomes that we want to reach by end of 2024 but also how we're going to do them what the data that we need to get there um and most importantly the measures and benchmarks that that are going to actually hold us all accountable and it's going to give us an idea of is all the work we're doing is it actually paying off or not um and then just more really about how do you envision the envision the future of diversity and inclusion will look like uh, what what does good look like to you within the VFX industry um i'm hoping that the same way frame store has managed to acquire someone who is doing diversity and inclusion other studios would do the same i'm hoping that there would be a diversity and inclusion team in in all of the other studios that are in medium to to big kind of size um i think without that they they cannot like who's going to take the responsibility of making any change if there's no one to even set a strategy and actually hold anyone accountable or make sure that things are actually moving so that's definitely a first step um second step would be to to put a long term strategy with measures as we were saying earlier um to make sure that things are actually being measured yeah yeah but simon i'd be also interested to i know you wanted to keep quiet at this but what does the future of kind of diversity inclusion within the vfx industry and within frame store look like in terms of good yeah thanks thanks for bringing me in uh, dom i wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that but um yeah i think that the future looks uh to engie's to point it's kind of disappointing that NG doesn't have peers in other big studios. Mm. I, I came across it years and years ago when I started working at the mill that between me and uh, Andrew Schlussel, who was well, formerly doing this role at, at Framestore, we used to work at MPC and almost we used to meet for coffees all the time because we were the only people doing L&D, learning and development mm. across industry. And I think now there was no diversity roles. And I think off the back of what happened uh, with murder of George Floyd, and then there's a lot of social equity work happening all over industry, but still there's a lack of focused roles in visual effects i think I'd, I'd love anybody listening to this to challenge that but what i see on linkedin or any other kind of forums that doesn't exist but in terms of the future i think it's really positive now um, in, the diversity inclusion is the long game um you know I, I don't want to be the kind of person that says i'm bored of talking about it because i've been talking about it for years since i worked at channel four almost kind of 15 years ago and we're still pushing for that that representation at all levels yeah. um but I genuinely think the seeds we're planting, particularly with the work we do uh, with Access VFX and those initiatives and global mentoring programs that we touched on in episode one or part one of this episode, sorry. I'm starting to see people coming through now at those, at least those entry levels and mid levels. And I bump into people all the time now who can testify to how those encounters with Access VFX have led to them getting into industry. And more often than not, they come from a diverse background. And that 
is really positive. And I remember joining the mill back in the day. And the reason we started doing that work at the mill then was the fact that there was no diversity in the building. It was literally, we were in Soho, one of the most uh, culturally diverse parts of London. And I remember there not being, apart from, I mean, you could count the amount of black people on one hand. That's how mm. diverse it was particularly uh, gender diversity as well. And it, we've, we've come on leaps and bounds since then. Absolutely. And it's not perfect and we haven't solved it, but it's definitely better. So I, I look to the future really positively. Um, a little bit naively as well, because I know there's a lot of challenges ahead, but the work we're doing with nonprofits like Access VFX, I think it's making a real difference. I just wish there was more funding for the initiatives that exist. That's my biggest challenge is a lot of yeah. companies talk a good game. But when it comes to, because you've got to invest in those initiatives mm. and the, the, the initiatives I've, I'm involved in, uh, we get nothing apart from the money from studios, from membership, but in terms of genuine investment, apart from Foundry, who I'll shout out for the mentoring program, um, we're, we're missing something there. Does that make sense? Sorry, that was a bit of a yeah. long-winded answer, but yeah, I definitely look positively, particularly seeing roles that you know, NG's currently in at the moment and, and making a real difference, particularly with schools. I know, Angie, you pulled together that presentation, that lift and shift um, schools presentation that anyone can use. Go to a school and just present the world of visual effects to, to young kids who have no idea where to channel their their creative leanings. So I think it's a, an exciting time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Angie, to yourself, what do you think is the benefit or that diverse teams can contribute to the overall quality of the creative process within uh, the visual, visual effects industry. What do you mean? Why, why is it beneficial to have kind of a diverse team always uh, kind of working together um, in a sense? Um, first of all, creativity, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, second of all is problem solving. I don't think if everybody thinks the same, if there's a problem, I don't think any of them can solve it unless they each think differently. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like if each person thinks very differently, they can bring out, um, they can challenge each other and then bring out different sides of each other's that they didn't know it even exists. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like when talking about diversity and inclusion in terms of what it can do, mm-hmm. it seems to be the obvious. So it feels quite, yeah, <laughs> quite weird for me to even explain why we need to to be as diverse as the world is. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed um just more about yourself uh how do you develop and, and develop yourself develop your skill set um reflecting i i try to reflect a lot and i think at the end of each day i try to have a little thing of cool what went well what didn't go well and why mm-hmm. and obviously having you know the annual review like i had last week really helps um talking to you know people around me like talking to you dom simon amy um about you know what they think of that what they think what they like about that and stuff that gives me an idea of what I'm doing well and what areas of improvement that I need to be working on more mm. um so that definitely helps and obviously having a mentor that gives a lot of guidance and uh, you also have this skill set of writing and stuff where where was that kind of born from was that just from the situation you were in uh, how did you hone that skill um yeah when i was in syria because of everything that was happening um, I think as a child, you just don't have a voice because you can't do anything, but you have to, to go through everything. Um, my way of putting my anger or my emotions somewhere and expressing myself was through the writing. 
And um, so that's when, when it started. I think I was 14 when I was writing these short stories about what's happening around me. Um, and then when I was 16, that's when the story was read by the UNHCR. And then it was through a publisher and then it was actually published. By mm, that's really cool. Um, if there's one thing that you'd like people to kind of leave this understanding more about refugees and their, and their journeys, what, what would it be? Ooh, um, I would say a few things. So the first thing, which I briefly mentioned before, if you hear, if you've heard, you know, what it means to be a refugee and what's the journey like from my side, it doesn't mean that you've understood it fully Mm -hmm. because each person go through it differently. So I would say, um, research more about it. There are films, documentaries and stuff that you can watch. Um, so, you know, do like read different things, watch different things to have a better view. That's one thing. The other thing is educate yourself about what you are voting for mm-hmm. politically mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how these votes are actually affecting ref- refugees. Um, few of the laws that they were going to actually be passed on um, were to actually put people in prison if they come to this country illegally, if they're fleeing war, which is completely against all human rights. Um, so make sure that you know what you are voting for when you're voting. Um, and also remember that refugees even though maybe they they don't speak english yet doesn't mean they're stupid (laughs) they have skills and they have so much in them and so just keep that in mind yeah are there any sort of exciting projects that are being worked on in the pipeline that you think people should be excited about in in the future um i mean events wise we've got the pride parade coming up on first of july i'm really excited for that Mm -hmm. it's going to be first time frame store london taking part in that and so very exciting we have for Refugee Week as well, we have a speaker coming um, to speak. I'm finding that really exciting as well. Um, and in terms of long term, I think the most exciting bit of work now is the strategy mm-hmm. that's still in the works. And hopefully, I mean, as you know, will be done soon. Oh, cool. Uh, we've actually gone through all my questions very, very quickly. Um, it's okay. They're great questions. Yeah. I've got a couple of quick questions, Angie, if you don't mind. It's to do with your book. Yeah, please. Because as you know, and I said at the start of the episode, that I there's a recent discovery for me. You kept very quiet about your book, apart from what's on LinkedIn. Um, I probably should look on LinkedIn a bit with a bit more detail. Um, but I, <laughs> the, the book is currently in Arabic, apart from the translated kind of first kind of chapter or the, the, the pracy. Are there any plans to fully translate the book? Because it, it's, it's beautifully written, at least in the mm. English translated version. Um, and it feels like a story that people need to hear. Um, the book is fully translated into English and the publisher has been looking for around two years to find a publisher that would publish it in English. Right. Um, but that's the bit that hasn't been going very well. All right. So that's where we are with, with it, if that makes sense. Well, this might be the first podcast that I will share on LinkedIn. I, I, I purposely did the whole, uh, <laughs> let, let the podcast do its own work, but I feel like we need to get this out to the wider world and, and use all of our all of our efforts to get, get it get it published because it just seems bonkers not to mm. have it out in the world <laughs> so it sweet. looks like a great i mean it's beautifully illustrated just purely from a creative perspective i think i mentioned to you Angie, the, the it's beautifully illustrated absolutely gorgeous artwork yeah like the artist does such an incredible job illustrating it yeah, yeah. amazing and uh the other question is and it's probably really obvious to people but it isn't to me is uh, the title bluebirds where does that come from what's the inspiration behind that um <laughs> I think it for me at least. I also have a tattoo here, actually. Oh, okay. um, the thing for me is is the inner freedom, um, the journey. So the child in the book, um, the whole 
book is about the journey that the child makes towards inner freedom and how he can actually work towards that in the middle of the war. So for me, bluebirds actually mean inner freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and the beauty of inner freedom is that it is something that you can work on reaching regardless of where you are. Um, so it's it's something like quite deep, quite complex. Yeah. And I don't want to say anything that will spoil no, the book, but in a nutshell, that's what it is. Yeah, that's a lovely, lovely place to leave it. Um, excellent. Thank you. Thank you both so much. Um, that was a great conclusion to our, our conversations uh, this week. Um, before I let you go, are, are there any anything you want to plug? Anything you want to shout about? Um, I've got. I, I wouldn't mind shouting out the mentoring program, both mentoring programs actually, both internally and and the Access VFX that we spoke about earlier. Um, I never do that on this podcast, but it feels right to do it. But I'm not going to steal anyone's thunder here. Uh, Ng, is there anything else you wanted to put out there, particularly for our our frame store listeners or externally, because we have a global footprint now, you know. We listen to all over the world. I think yeah. I've got one. I've got one listener in Egypt. I think we have one listener in, in Malaysia and Thailand. Wow! Okay, wow, crazy. So uh, yeah, the, 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 the huge subscription that we have. Any messages you want to share? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think I've already kind of said everything I, I had from my side. Yeah. Cool. What about you, Dom? Anything you want to put out there? Anything we've missed? Uh, no but if you want to see me dance during lunch i'm always on the fifth floor just come have a chat if you're ever in the london office did you say come and see me dance yeah i like to break yeah, dance i'm there i mean you can <laughs> check out usually listen to our belly dancing or, or the belly dancing music yeah. I, I want to see Dom dancing i'll be there without a doubt um awesome well on that that note uh, this brings our our conversation to a close and it is such a great conversation i really hope people listening to this will uh, mm. have their perspectives changed um again uh, refugee week is uh, going to be in my calendar now going forward so we'll be hopefully uh, putting a stake in the ground mm-hmm. for the 26th uh, refugee week uh, next year uh, but thank you so much uh, ng and don it's been an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you and to recognize uh, refugee week 2023 with you both I'd actually like to thank you, Simon, for facilitating these conversations. It's really, really much appreciated. Thank you so much both for the great question. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's more than welcome. No, it's such a great conversation, super rich, and I uh, can't wait to get it out. So uh, I'll leave you to your day and, uh, yeah, continue to enjoy Refugee Week. Uh, I'm excited for our speaker. After today, though, I think, Angie, why aren't you a speaker? Exactly. Why don't we put right? you on? Jesus. I mean, we've got a great speaker lined up and I'm signed up and I'll be there with bells on. But my word, that your story, we, why on earth yeah. are you not the main main event? Seriously, we've missed a trick. Right? Signed books as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll leave you to your day. Thank you, Angie. Thank you, Dom. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this week's episodes, our Refugee Week special. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it and perhaps even had your perspective shifted somewhat. It just leaves me to thank NG for being an incredible special guest, Dominic for being this week's brilliant guest co-host, and of course, Sam Sosnowski from the Global Training Team on Production Duties. We'll be back in another two weeks' time with another two-part episode, this week reflecting on Pride Month and once again, opening up the Framestore podcast dailies. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.